Welcome to the heart of show business. I am your host, Alexia Melocchi. I believe in great storytelling and that every successful artist has a deep desire to express something from the heart to create a ripple effect in our society. Emotion and entertainment are closely tied together. My guests and I want to give you insider access to how the film, television, and music industry works. We will cover dreams come true, the road less travel, journey beginnings, and a lot of insight and inspiration in between. I am a successful film and television entrepreneur who came to America as a teenager to pursue my show business dreams. Are you ready for some unfiltered real talk with entertainment visionaries from all over the world? Then let's roll sound and action. my goodness. Hello, everybody. I am here with yet another episode on season two of the Heart of Show Business. And with me, I have this amazing, amazing actress who is not only a super talented artist, but she's also a kind and nice human being. At least I hope so. That's (laughs) what I get. (laughs) <laughs> so I hope so. That's what I get from her. That's the vibe I'm getting. So, you know, um, yeah, so we have, you know, we have on our show Didi Fighter. You all know her from the hit series Big Sky from the the one and only David E. Kelly. But you know what's interesting about her, as you, you will have seen her with all the hotties in Hollywood. She was on Falling Down with Michael Douglas. She was with Keanu Reeves. I mean, hello, you were with George Clooney on Red Surf. You start opposite Jeff Goldblum. I want to know about all these men. We're going to have this conversation. But really, what's interesting about her is also that she took a 10-year hiatus, quote unquote, from the business to study psychology and study how to be a social worker. And she is an animal advocate. And that's really the reason why I have her here, because you know me huge animal rescue person. So welcome to my show. Thank you for having me. What a beautiful intro. I'm so flattered. <laughs> well, I had to kind of like put a nice little shiny light <laughs> over over you to highlight your incredible body of work. And of course, you know, let's not forget that you were also playing Sybil Shepherd's daughter in Sybil. I really want to know where you are right now because um, you were just telling me about your road trips. So let's talk about stars and real life for stars when they go to work on movies or TV shows. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, uh, thank you again for having me on your show. I'm so very flattered and honored. Um, and the first season of this guy, we were in Canada. We actually started in New Mexico. We were here for like a second. COVID happened. We shut down, resurfaced in Canada. Now we're back in New Mexico. And yes, I did a road trip with my 15-year-old son and my rescued Rottweiler and my rescued cat and my my son's rescued cockatoo in a very teeny car. And it was supposed to be this amazing like journey where we're going to bond. And and it was nothing like that. I'm still recuperating from the trauma of that 17-hour road trip. Um, But I'm here to do the second season. And um, it feels good. It feels good. The first season I was uh, in quarantine in in Canada, you know, feeding the Canadian pigeons and any bird I could get my hands on in, on the, in their balcony. But this time I got my own rugrats and my <laughs> own animals here to keep me busy. 
Oh my goodness. That is so fascinating though, that you're actually filming in New Mexico because I always thought of New Mexico as being as a deserted sort of landscape. So how does that work out with, I think it's set in Montana, right? I could be wrong. So does that look like Montana? You know something, girl, I'm with you because when we first came to New Mexico, I was like, I'd never been. So I was like, New Mexico, I thought it was kind of deserty. And it is, it's also very beautiful. And yet I guess they found locations closer to the mountainy areas where it does look like Montana. Um, and there's also a lot of studios out here and there's a lot of productions. So I guess they're going to do their movie magic. Um, <laughs> kind of like what they do with me in front of the camera all the time. Uh, there's lots of things we can do. And uh, this is going to be one of them is to make Mon or parts of Albuquerque and New Mexico look like Montana. I'm excited to see it too. <laughs> that is going to be so interesting to see if they're going to be like, if it's going to match the original series, you know, because Canada, you can go wrong. We all know. I mean, they film New York, for God's sake, in Toronto. Um, so, you know, we can, and there's a lot of woods. <laughs> there's a lot of green. New yeah, Mexico is interesting. Straight up on the West Coast of um, BC, and it was really beautiful. Um, oh. But we, but we would go like two hours out of the way to find locations, even in Canada, that look more like Montana. So um, I'm really interested to see these locations because it is relatively flat for the most part. Um, I did see pictures where there's snow, which I'm excited about because my son and I have never had a snowy Christmas. So I'm looking forward oh. to that. I'm really interested to see the cockatoo in the snow. I don't think Pri Pre Precious nor the Rottweiler is going to like her little, her California LA toes in snow. So we'll see how that works out. Oh my goodness. What's going to happen with the cat though? Because I hear the cats are very, home is really where their heart is. And so when they get moved to another things, I've had stories of people whose cats run away because they wanted to find their original home. Um, have you had this problem with your cat or is it okay so far? She go outside because she, my cat, yeah, my cat, she would probably find her way back to Los Angeles. I, I promise you she would. She is so smart. She's so savvy and she's an in and outdoor cat, which it's been breaking my heart since I've been here because they got some coyotes around here in New Mexico that will make her cat candy in a minute. So she can't go outside. So I've been going to the pet store a lot, getting a lot of catnip and toys and for her she take a if you just do like a paper ball and you roll it up and throw it she fetches so there's paper balls everywhere in this whole little place that we're staying um and i keep her catnipped up pretty high just so she doesn't notice the pain that she can't go outside <laughs> yeah. isn't it interesting though how cat like like simple things it's like you buy all this all these toys for them that are super expensive and then you throw like a straw and then in heaven with the straw with the ball she'd rather have the packaging that it came in as long as i roll it up and i flick it and it goes flying she's she's off at 100 miles an hour getting the paper that it came in but not the actual toy so like i said uh, my <laughs> my place is just tons of paper balls for her and uh chew toys for the rottweiler and of course the cockatoo she's just nuts <laughs> she's just she's a whole other oh, oh my gosh i love that well i have a fun question for you because we all think that artists i think most artists are entering into their artistic callings or endeavor for three reasons it's either for passion or for purpose, or for ambition. This is what I've seen as a standard. Sometimes it's a combination of all three. 
What was it for you, Didi? Why did you become an actress? Um, well, I have to say I've been really fortunate. I've had two journeys. The first was when I was from 18 to in my, um, I'm 57. Hello, I'm one of those few that actually admit that. Um, 57, so it was 10 years ago. 47 was when I, I took off for 10 years to get my education. So I was late 40s. Um, and if you hear snoring, that's not me. It's my Rottweiler over there. She's just over there snoring like an old man. So I just want to let you know it's not me. It's it's a sweetheart over there. Um, this is a very small area that we're standing up saying <laughs> I told my bubbles and jerk. I said, honey, I can't guarantee you all my interviews are not going to hear Roddy snoring, cats screaming, yelling, you know, this, my son going, the pizza's here. Um, <laughs> for me, the first time it was curiosity and wanting to conquer something I had never tried before. And I knew from the get go, I was really bad at it. And the minute I went into acting class from 18 to like 20, I was so bad. I was told like, oh my God, why are you even bothering with this? But I kind of had this hard headedness. My dad used to call me a hard head. Peter, do you're a hardhead that I wanted to, to, to figure it out first before I could quit or go on to something else. Well, 30 plus years later, I still couldn't figure it out. Still trying to conquer it. Never really ever could. Cause I don't think you ever can as an artist ever figure it out. Once you think you have the answers, I think you're done as an artist because life is ever so changing. You write on a daily basis, on a moment to moment basis. So as an artist, if you're not evolving and changing, then you're missing the boat and you're stagnant. And so, you know, it's always breathing. It's its own entity when you're an artist. And especially when I took off for 10 years and I came back, now I'm back sober. This month, it'll be three years sober. I got sober in there. Yeah, I took a year off of my schooling to get my butt sober. I had to realize I was an addict and an alcoholic. So for me to be now acting again, not only with my degrees, but sober, it's a whole nother um, um, like it's a whole other journey and it's uh, I'm not looking through the lens of fear anymore. I don't have as much insecurity. I'm always insecure, but not as much. My drive is just as important, but my, my purpose is different. I want to bridge together my 10 years of education on social welfare issues when it comes to the homeless, mental health, and of course, addiction, because that's me. Um, I want to be an advocate to say, hey, let's talk about these things. And that's why I just threw that in there in this interview. Let's talk about addiction. Like I would talk about some anything else in my life. It shouldn't be this big monumental, da 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 Didi Pfeiffer has, you know, an addiction. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, nice to meet you. <laughs> and now let's have a conversation about it, right? So the more we can normalize it and pull the shame away from it, the more we can get to to uh, those of us who carry a lot of shame as addicts. So I love that I'm playing Denise on Big Sky because Cody clearly had an alcohol problem. So I secretly made Denise sober. No one knows that. Um, so I've like colored this character through my life's journey um, as a social worker and as a bachelor's in psych, made Denise kind of like her own like little therapist who's also sober. So she's a lot of things, even though you don't see her a lot. Denise is a lot of things that I, Didi, have been able to put into the role quietly um, while scoring my scenes. And hopefully that um, people are picking up on that. I think your raw authenticity totally comes through seeing you in this series, which is what I absolutely love. I'm wondering, with you being so open about your addictions, is this something that you decided to openly talk about 
as a result of COVID and everything that people went through. Because what I've seen is a lot of people are talking about residual PTSD, obviously, with everything that is happening today. And I think more than ever, people are feeling the need to kind of open up that hidden box and show their demons. And there is no longer shame attached to those demons. Do you think that is one of the reasons why you're so open about it? Or you would have just come out and say it had we not gone through a pandemic? That's actually a really interesting point. And there's a lot of truth in what you said. I think that that's an element of it. But for me, I know that in, in my recovery uh, as an addict is that transparency is key to staying sober every day. Um, being calling myself on my own shit, <laughs> having support people around me that and make sure I don't have people around me who co-sign my bullshit, right? And so transparency is a big one. And when I realized when I did came, when I came out of rehab and I was starting to say, hey, you know, I'm I'm I can admit it, I have a problem and I'm and I'm now no longer the identified problem in my family nor friends. I am now the identified possibility. And how exciting is that? And it doesn't just give you chills. And I want to let everybody out there know that if you're having an issue with whatever you're addicted to, I don't care if it's gambling, sex, heroin, um, whatever. An, an addiction is an addiction. It carries a lot of shame. I get you. I'm going to grab my heart. I get you. I still have shame. It's an ugly one. It kneecaps you. And yet we can, we can do this if you just lean on somebody who's maybe got some sober legs ahead of you. Right. And that's, I lean on people who have more years than me. And so a big part of that's transparency. So I started the journey of that three years ago, COVID just kind of brought it to another level. And you're absolutely right about COVID. There's something else that we don't talk about grief during COVID. Everybody was grieving our norms, our, a lot of things. People had a lot of loss during COVID on all sorts of levels. So there, when one looks at one's grief, there's lots of different stages of grief. And if we can maybe have compassion for each other and understand that it's going to take some time to come get, get through it. You don't, you know, you don't go around it like I did. <laughs> you go around it, then you're not really going through it and going through it sometimes means leaning into it. And grief has a lot of some faces that aren't so pretty, just like when you're in your disease, but just like in recovery, getting through grief can also be part of, um, saying, I want to be part of the solution, not the problem. And the way to do that is to say, hey, it's okay to say, this is freaking hard. How about that? And doesn't make me a weak person, makes me an honest person. You know, and if somebody views me as weak, that's cool. That's, that's their lens that they're looking at life through. Right. And I no longer, you know, try, I try daily not to make sure I'm the lens that I'm looking at life through is um, a lens that's hopefully not broken anymore like it used to be. Um, and we can check our own lens. And it's exciting. Every day I don't drink, every day I don't use. It's another day I'm an identified possibility showing other people that if I can do this and I'm a hardhead, you can do it too. I know it's hard, it's a, but you can do it. And we can get through this grief. We can find what our new normals are. All this stuff, it's all out there. You know, We just kind of need each other right now. We really do. Yeah. Gosh, you're dropping major gems on this on this show. And I have to say, it's interesting because I was on Clubhouse today. I moderate a lot of the industry rooms because obviously with COVID, there were so many people that needed to have 
basically a party line that is not a party line, people to talk to one another, you know, we were isolated and I made so many incredible friendships and, uh, you know, people on the human level on Clubhouse. And what I said today is totally in line with what you said. I said, being seen is more important than being important. And to me, what I feel that, for example, that I've seen with a lot of my friends who have suffered from alcohol abuse, for example, you have Alcoholics Anonymous, which is about being seen. People see you. You have people who are going through your journey. And when you stand up and say, hi, I am Didi Pfeiffer and I'm an alcoholic, people say, hi, they see you. And it's so much more important to be seen than being important. And and people are so obsessed, I feel, Mm -hmm. with being important that this whole thing was a major wake-up call because it's like, what is truly important? Is it the likes on your Instagram? Is it you just being invited to premieres so that you can show that you're relevant? Or is it something else? Wow, that's so true. That is so true because... For instance, a lot of people on my Instagram, they're like, Didi, you need to get more followers so you can get the dot or the check or whatever that is. I don't even know what that means. And I'm like, you know something, thank you for your concern, but I'm okay. I'm actually more than okay. I love the fact that the people that are following me discovered me or they've been fans for a while or whatever, or they think I'm kind of quirky or funny or whatever. And they like my videos of birds and then my animals and just, you know, me having like a day like today. And I'm good. I don't need that check. I don't need that little dot saying I have a million followers. Actually, to me, it's a little overwhelming <laughs> and, and certainly not very intimate. I'm intimate, you know, with the followers I have. I get click back and like what they post and what have you. Um, yeah. But I think you, you hit on something when it says being heard, being seen. It's hard to be seen or heard if you don't have the skills on how to communicate or to say, I need to be heard. That's where we can all become also a little more savvy. For instance, teenagers, they yell all the time. You don't hear me. You don't see me. You don't see me. You're not listening to me. Because you know something I don't think we do. Because all we do is look at the behavior. But if you look at people's behavior, they're yelling and screaming usually. It's just they're not using the words. So we are communicating in certain ways. Drinking is a way to communicate that I am slowly dying because of my undiagnosed trauma or whatever it is. Or if a full-blown addiction. But when you say being seen first, the person has to be able to verbally say, hey, see me. But they often are doing that that without saying those words. So it's like almost like we have to learn how to um, communicate in a different, a little richer, deeper way. Yeah. Sometimes my kids are like, mom, you know, just stay in your own lane. They're right. they're right. And I'm all up in their lane because I'm the parent and I should know better. And they're like, mom, actually, you know, we're good. Love you. Stay in your own lane. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm over here in my own lane when you need me. I'm over here. Just, I love you. I'm over here in my own lane. Oh, that is so adorable. Well, I have to say, I mean, the whole David E. Kelly and the show totally threw me for a loop because obviously that's not his style. Um, and so I was like, wow, this show is really, really dark. Like I was having, right. I was having, honestly, I was having sometimes really a hard time watching it. However, yeah, a lot of people do, but they keep going. It's like, it's like an attic with crack. This is really bad, but I'm going to keep going back. <laughs> they want to see it. But I, you know what I love because it, it is disguised as entertainment, but at the end, it, I really appreciate that there is always that message and saying, if you know anybody who's in danger, if you know anybody who may be 
a victim of trafficking, that is such a touchy subject. And if we have to disguise it as, you know, entertainment in order to bring awareness to certain very, very delicate things, um, I think that's a really great thing that David E. Kelly did. Now, with you as CD, with your character, obviously you are living in a world of darkness on the show. How do you keep it together, quote unquote, uh, as a recovering addict when you are going into these dark places on set? When you go home, what is it that you need to do to keep yourself back to center? Oh, I kick my dog. No. <laughs> I, I play with my cookies. <laughs> I always say to I my more animals. <laughs> I, know, I, know. Oh, I just come and kick the dog, you know. Um, she's so I, know, right? I think she could probably even feel it if I did. She's as big as a house. Um, no, what I do is, one of the things that I do is I, I process how I'm feeling, what I'm feeling with, like, my sober group. Uh, my sisters are fantastic. They, I, I bond with them on a different level. Um, my children, I think for me, just kind of getting back to putting my roots like uh firmly on the ground like what is important when i come home all of that actor stuff goes away because when i come home i got a bird to clean up after i got a dog that hasn't been walked there's a litter box that hasn't been cleaned i gotta start yelling at some boys why didn't you you know all of a sudden i'm now a real person with everyday issues that other other, other parent has to deal with right and then at the end of the day uh, you know i go oh yeah how was my day on the set and then I can reflect on it. Um, I think what I've learned the older I get is to be in the moment, really just saturate myself in the moment and what's behind me in the past is gone. That's why I always tell people, please don't take it personal, but I don't watch my own interviews and I don't listen to my own interviews and I certainly don't watch my work unless what well, kind of do watch it real quick just to see if I'm making an ass of myself. <laughs> but otherwise I really don't because first of all, I don't find it pleasant listening to myself nor watching myself but also it's like it's done it, it's in the universe now it's behind me there's not much I, there's nothing i can do to change it other than maybe alter the next interview but i know that each interview like right now i'm coming from a place of of, of my authentic self right now and that's all i can give you in this interview it, it, and i do that with all my interviews so I'm able to let it go. And I do the same thing on the set. I give the crew, the cast, everything I got, you know, and then I can let it go and then come home and give the rest to my animals and my sons. And then, um, then I try to replenish deed or do, <laughs> deed or do, that's my nickname, um, in the best way that I can, which is usually just watching alien shows. I like watching shows on aliens. <laughs> Oh, God, don't get me started on the yeah. aliens. It's like my heroine. I love it. <laughs> I love it. No, I have to say, I so commend you for your authenticity because I feel one of the things that obviously, you know, you said yes to David E. Kelly because who would say no to David E. Kelly, right, to his show? But as an actor or as an actress, in this case, oh God, there is all this political correctness, whatever, as an actor, um, <laughs> what makes you say yes to a part because you've been out of the loop for 10 years so say that somebody comes to you today you know you you'll be done with the show whenever that's going to be done hopefully will go on for many years but you want to do other stuff so what is it that you gravitate towards to as an artist what will you say yes to with the new dd 2.0 yeah i, I like the new dd 2.0 i love that um <laughs> 
<laughs> some days it's 1.5, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> I'll take any number. <laughs> no, yeah, right. I definitely want to ride the show out for as long as it goes. Um, I do have an idea of what I'd like to do next. I'd like to merge my education on social welfare issues on a macro, meso, and micro level through the lens of a social worker that I, that I was taught through UCLA, which is a um, biopsychosocial lens. Pull those things together, and I'd like to pull some of my social worker friends who I think are really brilliant um, and have a, a, some kind of like a town hall show where we talk about social welfare issues, and I will be the host. Um, host of course. Host. Yeah, because I just want and use my um, format as an actor um, as an arena to bring people in to have conversations like we're doing right now, right? Versus the host talking at you, we actually have conversations. Because it's through conversations, I think, that we get to like really important levels of, um, of issues that I think everybody is concerned with on some level or another. I mean, when you drive through any one of your towns right now, homelessness is pretty much everywhere now. It's very hard to get out from underneath it. Mental, oh, especially now with the pandemic when it comes to addiction and, and mental health issues. These are all major, major issues. You know, so throwing money at these problems is no longer, I feel, acceptable. But at the same time, let's bring like minds together in a multidisciplinary factor. And when I say that, I mean, for instance, if you were to buy a house and you have an inspector come in, here's the problem at least with me, the last few houses I bought, and I will never try to buy again. They don't find a lot of monumental things, you know, and I, that's really frustrating as a homeowner because then it's like, what do you mean this palm tree took out all the plumbing and now all my is taking out my living room floor. What do you mean that's going to cost a million dollars or whatever? The house is even worth a million dollars. It's like, wh why doesn't one come in with like this? Let's bring a plumber in to look at the plumbing. Bring an electrician in to look at the, the electricity, you know, a roofing company, look at the roof, you know, somebody who this is their forte. And when I was doing, um, when I was doing my internship the first year at LA Family Housing, working with um, the homeless, it was I was on a multidisciplinary team where we had a peer advocate, we had an intern. Hello, that was me. We had um, a mental health expert, so a substance use expert, a multidisciplinary group who would go out in the field, and there was a small group of us who would be able to talk to each and every person. And from there, we were able to do almost like a wraparound assessment on this individual's issues because everybody's issue whether you're homeless or not or mental health or substance is different you have different trauma if you have trauma right different family different culture different you know there's a lot of factors go into each and an individual person so for me that's kind of how i think we should be addressing a lot of these problems and i'm not seeing a lot of people talking about that loudly right we, we yeah. go loudly. So I would like to be not loud in your face at all. I don't think that's a way to get, you know, uh, anyone's attention. And I'm kind of done with the blame game. I don't know about you, but like everyone pointing fingers at each other. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, okay. You can blame somebody, do that somewhere else. What are we going to do right now? Like, exactly. what can we do right now? Let's all brainstorm. And wouldn't that be an exciting show to watch? To get yes. the wheel going, right? Yes. Yes, let people solve problems instead of creating them, you know, which will be yeah, so important as a community. Game, you're not going to go anywhere. And, it, you know, really. So, um, I mean, uh, yeah, let's just move past that, right? But I really love what you said. And I, I think, again, passion, purpose, or ambition, right? And so why not 
put a purpose behind your passion, you know, which is obviously performing, but it's also making the world a better place and making both putting them in a nice little pretty package and creating something that people can actually, you know, put the flashlight on an issue that, you know, we're all facing right now. It's interesting because the times are changing. Yeah. And um, even for actresses, I believe, you know, usually actresses were looked at either as the comedians or the sex symbols, right? So look at even here, you know, with, with your sister, obviously your sister has a different brand. You have a different brand. You're beautiful still, but you know, you're, you're the, you, you've always been funny, right? So that's been kind of like your lane in so many ways. And so it's interesting that finally now there is more roles opening up for women to not be just pigeonholed into something. You can be dramatic, you can be funny, you can be sexy, you can do anything. It's not just, oh, she's a comedy actress. Oh, she's the leading lady who's gonna like, you know, go and have the romance thing. Oh, that person is gonna be the lawyer. There is an opening up of roles. Are you, well, I mean, that's kind of like a, a, a loaded question, but do you think that the Me Too movement has something to do with the change? Or do you think, had it not been there, we would have moved forward this way for women to have more meaningful roles in film and TV? I think the Me Too movement absolutely helped. I think that, yeah, a lot of good came out of that. Um, I think the times are ever so changing and revolving that we kind of do one thing for a while and then it's, it needs to change. And if not, sometimes it needs to be broken to go in a different direction, right? That women, you know, were being used in a certain way in front of the screen. And now we're kind of like, we did that. So now let's, now what's next, right? So the Me Too movement, I certainly do think helped. Do you hear her yelling? She's yes, like, I love that. That's so great. They're bitching. She's <laughs> probably going to come in here any minute and join me in this interview. She usually does. Um, uh, I think it definitely helped. I, I do, if you just kind of look at history and how things change, right? I think that change is important, even though I'm not a big fan of change. Listen, I'm not you know, a fan of change. It is important. I think one of the biggest lessons for me is to learn how to, to move with the change. Because when I resist it, when you look through, when you go through life like this, resistance, look at how the life looks, the world looks like this. But when I go yeah. through life with curiosity, because it's an open, right? Look at everything I can see. Curiosity versus resistance, right? Yeah. And I think that that kind of goes with everything. And the industry is changing. Boy, she's nasty. That bird is nasty. No, listen, this is amazing. I mean, <laughs> it's okay. It was a great, instead of an applause, we had a cockatoo <laughs> yelling for dear life. That's great. There was one interview where she was on my shoulder. And the whole time she was just flapping and I was trying to talk. And the guy was like, I'll let her, let her take She took over the whole interview. It was fun. Yeah. Um, um, I think she wants to say hi. Come here, Panny. Max, honey, bring her here because now that we've heard her, we now have to see her. Oh, I we need to see the bird. Yeah, we get, watch. We'll probably get bit because we're not going to flip the bird. We're going to see the bird, <laughs> which is so great. This is so fabulous. Curiosity versus resistance. I love that. Yeah, curiosity. Because when I found myself being resistance, it, life is not so. It's not so. <laughs> she's totally flapping. Here, come here. You're on camera, honey. My son's like, uh, uh. Come here, Booba. 
Oh. Please don't be mad at to me. All the listeners were about to see. Oh, yes. oh look at this. Oh, you people are missing out. I may have to put this on my YouTube channel because this is too much of a sight. <laughs> you oh look at it. It's got yellow, it's got yellow and yes. white. And she's got coffee stains because she drinks coffee. She oh, oh that's what it is. It's not a yellow uh, natural coast. <laughs> yellow and coffee. If you got she's she's really, really hi baby. Yeah. Everybody, we have a cockatoo on our podcast. That's the most amazing experience hi. ever. This is hi. She's yeah. going. To, are you done yet? Yes, we're almost done. Yes, I see. Cockatoo's like, are you done yet? She's like, okay. <laughs> that was amazing. Sweetheart, I love you. I, I see. Yes, we'll sing you a nine night song in a minute. The minute I'm done, we'll sing you a nine night song. Oh, I love that. Well, you know, um, unfortunately, we can't record the night song, but I think your last statement, (laughs) (laughs) I think your last statement pretty much wrapped up the whole whole podcast because it was epic. Like, I loved what you just said. You just had me demonstrated curiosity. I was curious about your cockatoo and here I was. See where like the interview just went into that direction because you were curious versus resistant versus, oh, well, let me stop the camera because the cockatoo is going to come. That's resistance versus let it roll. Let's see where it goes. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, you were like, oh my God, a cockatoo is in in this interview now. How fun is that? And unusual and different for your listeners. Right. Absolutely. Love it. No, I think it's great. And you know, you could it really shows that this is really what life is about. You know, you have to have a state of wonder and just welcome whatever comes your way, including the cockatoo claiming to want to sing its song before it goes to bed. So with that said, <laughs> thank you so much for being on my show, Didi. The, the wisdom nuggets were epic. Um, I really loved it. Of course, I, I can't wait to hear what my listeners are going to say, but, you know, thank you for sharing <laughs> I mean, thank you for sharing of yourself with your authenticity, your vulnerability, your incredible sense of humor. It's been truly a joy having you. And hopefully I'll see you in person one day. I love that. (laughs) That was goodbye. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Heart of Show Business. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. You can also subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions or comments or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at theheartofshowbusiness.com.